Hi everyone and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS. I am Val Sopi and currently I'm running Blogstatic.io, a blogging and newsletter platform. In this show, I invite guests to talk about SaaS and sometimes I run solo with an update. Stefan Manku is a unique founder coach. He has the ability to listen and ask questions that trigger self-discoveries mid-conversation. I've been in touch with Stefan for a while now and have also been a guest on his podcast where I made a few self-discoveries of my own. I'm excited to have Stefan share more about what we found or struggled with the most and talk about his SaaS as well. Welcome to the show, Stefan. Thanks, Violet. It's so good to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here, man. So um, my very first question, which I keep asking everyone, I modif- modified it for you a bit. So here it goes. It's um, imagine you came to the world today with your abilities, experience and all, and you're just finding out who you are. So with that, who is Stefan today? Wow, big question. <laughs> <That's a tough laughs> <one. laughs> Dropping me straight in it there. Yes. <laughs> it's a big question, who am I today? I think who I am today is somebody who doesn't see one, one road, one path. And I think that growing up, it's very easy to think about life, careers, that sort of things as being one track that you kind of stay down, you find your thing, you stick to it, and that's it. Whereas today, my work is on a SaaS company, it's, you know, founder coaching, um, it's coaching with some coaching colleagues as well. It, it covers a wide range of different areas and interests. So I think, yeah, it's quite quite broad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that view. I mean, I'm I'm thinking for myself, like what I want to do 10 years from now probably won't be the same thing. I doubt it. Mm. So yeah, there's, I like that, you know, it's like, it's, there's no one way or like one career, like you can do many things, I guess, you know, at any point. Yeah. And I wonder if it, is it different for children today growing up? Do they see this world of many different opportunities in, in one lifetime? I know that when I was growing up, it was a little bit more thinking about what's your career path right. and you stick to it and you grow, grow through it almost. Whereas what's actually happened has been very different. I've worked in healthcare previously, you know, I've, I've had startups, continue to have startups working on the coaching side as well. So it's quite broad. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that is different for young people of today. Yeah, I see people asking my kids sometimes, like family or I'm not sure if teachers do this, but like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I never ask my kids, you know, like my son is now 10. He has a YouTube channel. Uh, he likes math. He plays tennis. And there's not Amazing. one one thing that I've sort of, you know, asked him or pushed him towards. Like if he likes that now, that's great. You mm. know, but I see people... Uh, right away, like they see their kid maybe has some talent in like piano or guitar or whatever. And they're like, I got to take him to a course. I got to make them really good at this. You know, my view is more like, let him just play piano. He can, you know, probably learn it from YouTube. If he's like amazing, like he'll probably find that and then do it at some point. I don't know. That's my take. Probably is wrong. It's not for everybody, but I hear you, you know, like I, people ask me like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Like one thing. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm still wondering what I'm going to be when I grow up. I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. 
But um, I guess as well, your background plays into that as well. The fact that mm-hmm. you've worked on a few different businesses as well and been in a few different areas. And even as a sort of solo founder, you work on a number of different areas of the business. I wonder if your world outlook is different to a lot of people that haven't experienced that. Yeah, I don't know. Could be. Uh, I always default to like one thing or two, you know, even though like I had an experience in a couple of different things. Like mm-hmm. I default to a thing where I think I'm being more creative. Like I'm, my output is bigger and maybe more self-satisfying in a way, not as much in a way that makes the world a better place, but sort of what is satisfying to me. Uh, like I default to that, it seems. So yeah, I don't know, maybe that will change, but that's, that's it for now. So yeah, anyway, this interview is about you. <laughs> let's, let's focus on you. Uh, so um, I wanted to go uh, deep into, you know, your experience with talking to founders and, you know, coaching them and sort of if you could go over some of the things that founders struggle with the most. Sure. So I think there are a broad number of areas that founders struggle with. I've distilled it down into a few that sort of were top of mind. Um and I think it's it's important to say as well that nothing that I do is prescriptive in the sense of it's not 100% defined, it's not right from wrong, it's exploring, it's um, seeing what works, what doesn't work, getting feedback, what resonates with the person. So even as we talk through these topics, they're not necessarily, you know, that's always going to be the case for this person, or that's how you solve it for that person. I'm very conscious of quick fixes. I think Twitter these days is full of them. Um, but the reality is that context matters so much. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference, but yeah, we can certainly dive straight into them. So the first one that I was thinking about was sort of support network. And I think it's really important when thinking about a support network around the different types of support, because lots of people will say, yeah, I've got, I've got friends. They're really good. But thinking through, you know, sort of I've broken it down to professional support. So things like coaching, therapy, advisors, mentors, then professional peers, so maybe other founders, and then interpersonal, so friends, family, partners, whoever that may be. And with these different types of support, I think it's being aware of what support they're offering. And that's where sometimes we differentiate between, say, coaching and mentoring, so mentors may give you more of their perspective, what they've been through is a bit more of a push in terms of um, what their experience is and how they can pass that on. Whereas coaching is more of a pull and it's more towards exploring with people what their sort of experience is and giving them the space to process. So even though, you know, somebody might say, yes, I've got a load of support because they think they've got, you know, or they have not, they think they've got, but they've got, you know, a good friendship network, for instance, mm-hmm. those friends may support you in one way, but it may not be the way that you need. I'm just wondering what, how does that sort of resonate with you in terms of who you have around you, Val? So uh, my support sort of uh, circles are one is I'm a part of a sort of professional network and slack with other founders which we can relate to about a lot of things and then i have my family some friends uh 
where once in a while I may be talking about something I'm going through, but that professional network is the one where I rely the most. So I think my question with that is, uh, what sort of support are we looking for? Or what should we stay away from? Are we looking for somebody to cheer for us? Are we looking for somebody to sort of have some tough love with us who tells us the way it is? Um, like, what are we looking for? That depends maybe on, on the person. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. And as we'll come to in a later point, I think yeah. it's not necessarily so binary in that it's not necessarily one or the other, but actually it's a blend of all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the case with most things in life, right? It's not that it's always one end of the scale, it's somewhere in the middle. And different times call for different types of support. You know, there are times where you are exhausted, you want time out and you just want to go have a laugh with friends you know, go out to dinner, whatever you want to do and have some downtime and really switch off. And that's important at those times. However, those people are not necessarily going to provide you with the best advice when you need to understand from somebody that's been in the industry and the challenges that they faced. Mm -hmm. So that's when you switch to maybe more of an advisor or, you know, a mentor within the industry. Equally, if you've got a lot on your plate and um, you've got a lot of advice and a lot of ideas, but you're not sure quite how to process them or work through them, then maybe coaching is for you. And then there are other times that you want to sort of explore a challenge that you're going through with people alongside you, a peer group who you can talk openly and comfortably with. And that's when, you know, other founders are really useful for that. So I think it's, it's dependent on the time, what you're going through and what you really need from these people. And it's just stopping for a moment and thinking about who is best going to help me at this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it does make sense. You know, I guess depending on what you're going through, that's a big one. You know, what sort of, if you're looking to maybe kick back and not think about your business at all, um, you know, that's probably the way to go. One thing I have never tried and I've wondered about is sort of having a mentor, somebody that has been there and sort of somebody that, uh, takes interest in you personal, like they want you to succeed. And I guess that's hard to find because I guess you can find somebody like a mentor you can pay, but it's, uh, I, you know, it's, a, it's like a transactional sort of thing. Like, I, I wonder like if founders out there have a mentor where they maybe have coffee once, once a month or so, and the mentor is, super excited, super invested in them personally to see them succeed. I don't know if that happens at all. Um, yeah, I think, I think it does. I think, and there are people that build up sort of, um, advisory boards, sometimes personal advisory boards of people. And sometimes it's, you know, an equity share. Sometimes it's for, um, funds through, Mm -hmm. you know, actually paying for them, um, and their time. So I think there's different ways to do it. And, you know, for some people that works and sometimes it's a range of opinions. So you need people from different sectors or areas, depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the challenge as well is that sometimes you can get overloaded with advice and opinions and it's actually then stepping back and figuring out what you're actually going to action from what you've learned. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, usually the way I make my sort of decisions, like if I, if I'm struggling with a sort of major decision, I try to collect as many feedback as much feedback as I can from others and as many notes from my sort of own personal writings over time and now and then let them 
sort of be for a day or so and then just go over it and just like filter through and then make a decision. Like that's one way I've made decisions in the past and I still keep doing that. I guess it's working. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, so what, what, other, what are some other things that founders struggle with that, you know, maybe they can do better, not maybe be so hard on themselves in a way? Sure. And I think that kind of links to the previous point, actually, about the support network, just finishing on that one around mm-hmm. um, being hard on ourselves and just acknowledging what we're actually doing and in terms of building a business and a startup. You know, it's, it's a really tough task. Not many people would do it. We're a handful of people that actually do it. And when you, you know, it's easy when you're in this world to be surrounded by people who are doing it. So it looks like it's normal. But when you compare yourself to the wider world, just acknowledging that you're going through a major, major challenge and finding who, whoever you need basically to support you. Because, you know, we wouldn't go through other major life changes alone, or at least you'd hope not, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of education, growing up, um, raising a family, things like that. I know that many people do sometimes do that alone. Um, but where you can, if you can build a support network, I think that's really important. And that kind of comes on to, I guess, the next point around prioritizing and thinking about what to focus on. I think this is this is a really common thing in coaching sessions in terms of a topic to discuss. People wondering, you know, I've got all of these options what should I do now? What do I really need to focus on? And, you know, the phrase, there's many ways to skin a cat comes to mind. Mm -hmm. There is no right or wrong necessarily. If you ask 10 founders and gave them the same list of things to do, I'm sure they'd all probably prioritize it differently. Um, So with that, for me, the way that I tend to work with people through that is actually trying to work from the end point and work back a little bit more. That can really help get a bit more perspective if, you know, somebody's trying to achieve X goal, whether it's, you know, to get more customers, to, you know, reduce the operational time they're spending on various tasks, whatever it may be, trying to understand the end game is really important because it can be very easy to try and pick one route over another as the here and now because it's, you know, it might be easier, it might be clearer, whatever it may be. But actually trying to understand where you're trying to get to, as obvious as it may sound, is more important. Mm-hmm. And what's the nature usually of these these decisions? Like, do they have a sort of a common theme where founders struggle the most with? Are they operational? Are they sort of creative? Uh, are they personal? Like, what's sort of like the re- reoccurring theme that, if there is any... I think that sales and growth is always a challenge that comes up. You know, there's rarely anyone that's completely happy with the amount of sales and growth. Everybody's looking to get bigger and grow more. And mm-hmm. often it's a, a question around sort of channels and, um, you know, where to spend time and what to focus on. And actually when you start digging down into, you know, if you focus on focus on this, you know, if you focus on Twitter, for instance, or if you focus on paid ads or if you focus on social or whichever path you go down, is exploring what's what's the actual work involved? What do you need to do? Who's going to be doing that? What time is it going to take? What do you think is a likely outcome from it? How are you actually going to get to that outcome? And once you start probing, it starts to then become clear where actually, you know, there's low hanging fruit and maybe it's worth trying that first. And again, like we talked before, that maybe it's not a case of doing one or the other. It's actually a case of both and doing a little bit of both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um 
So yeah, so that's that's a really common one. Do and they, then obviously, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll so I was just going to say, in in terms of um, operational tasks as well, those can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming. You know, there's the basic upkeep that everyone's got to do to run a business, whether it's you know bookkeeping and accounting. Um, when people start hiring people and, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of um, admin that goes with that and onboarding people. So there are many different sort of operational challenges as well. And it's finding the time, deciding what to prioritize on as well. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the struggles that I would have, I would picture others maybe do too. Like once, once the founders maybe have a business that is growing and they find themselves in a position where, they're doing something that probably it's not their strongest sort of skill, or maybe they don't even like it. Is there a case of that? Yeah, I think that can happen. And again, it's thinking about highest and best use of your time. Time's the one thing that's limited for all of us. And mm-hmm. and standing in for many early stage founders as well, that can be a real challenge because particularly in the bootstrapping world, budgets are not necessarily the greatest in terms of being able to get outside support but just thinking what's actually going to move the needle here. Yes, this seems important, but is it actually going to make a change or can you focus on this other thing where actually, you know, that's going to bring in some revenue, which will allow for, you know, bringing on some external, whether it's freelance or contract support, which will then allow you to get to that other place. So it's just sort of exploring all of those different options. And I guess going back to your point of focusing on the end game, like what are you, what are you trying to get? What's the end game of this particular sort of task, goal? Yeah. Mm. And it's easy to lose sight of that, right? When it's mm-hmm. when you've got a task list there that's got 100 different things on it, it can be easy to look at the task list and try and think, okay, which one of these comes first? But actually, if you've forgotten where you're going and you lose sight of that, you're just mm-hmm. prioritizing blindly. You don't really know where you're actually aiming for. And actually knowing where that endpoint is can help bring focus to okay, well, that task isn't actually going to contribute to that. It's something that needs doing, but right now it's not going to get me to that point of having, you know, 5, 10, 100 customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you can default to the easiest one like I do. <laughs> Just go through the list. Pick We're, the all We're all guilty. We're all guilty. Just to get some dopamine rush going, you know, after doing the, the easy task. And then, you know, like you know, when you're saying the end game, which is, you know, super simple when you think about it, but I tend to forget. You know, if I'm looking at my task list, which I did the other day uh, for Blockstatic, the you know the long task list I have, and mm-hmm. I wasn't prioritizing with the end game in, in my mind. Uh, I don't even know what I was prioritizing based on, to be honest. So like, this is something that I can look into and just, you know, focus on that and say, what is the end game for this one? Or what is my end game for the next six months? You know, where do I want to see this product? And like sort of what sort of, point and that could help a lot you know i think so and i think that's where goals and sort of milestones are good i mean i this is more of a personal level but i tend to stay away personally from setting big goals because things are Mm -hmm. quite changeable um but having an overarching idea in terms of where we're going i think is helpful and remembering that just because you set that it can change you can tweak it it's reversible you don't have to stay on that path but just having it there as a reminder that that's roughly what we're going for just helps with that prioritization, like you say. And and don't get me wrong as well. There are certain tasks that don't always necessarily fit, but they need to get done. You know, tax returns, mm-hmm. all those kind of things. Absolutely. And 
you know, they have to happen. And also those easier tasks as well, you know, they are great for getting a bit of momentum and sometimes that's what we need. So that's why, as I said at the start, there is no 100% right or wrong. It's finding that balance, but just making sure that you're generally moving in that direction that you need to. Yeah, one thing that is not talked a lot about is, especially with founders who are working on their own, on their product, and maybe they don't have a lot of help, is that we sometimes we forget how little time we have during a day. And I'm not saying, you know, that you have 16 hours and you can make use of all of them, even if you don't have kids and you're single and you're, you know, you have all the time in the earth uh, available for a given day. But when it comes to it, you have like about five, six hours that are productive unless you're like a superhuman or something. And then, you know, with that, if I look back at my sort of task list, like for the next couple of months, two or three months, I am going to focus on one thing only because I realize that I can't do it all. It's impossible to do content, mm. writing, SEO, code, and do all these other things that we think we can do. And then you see the time hits five o'clock afternoon. And you're like, oh crap. Okay. So that's it, I guess for today. Um, so yeah, like for yeah. me, you know, moving forward is like, this is one thing I'm going to be doing day in and day out for the next three months and then see if it pays off. Like that's sort of a bet that I'm taking, which I have to take a bet. It's like, I don't have a huge team where we can try several different things at once and then see what works. Like that's sort of the disadvantage of my case and people that are in my sort of, you know, shoes that I think we should focus on one thing only for at least a given time of like a couple of weeks or so. So, yeah. I don't know if that's like a, if that's a struggle with others, like, do they, do other founders try to do a lot of things? Like, do they overestimate their sort of productivity level in any way? I think that's a general human trait, to be honest, not necessarily sure. even just founders. Um, but yeah, and, and it does carry across into founders trying to get a lot done and diluting themselves and spreading themselves quite thin and then mm. wondering, you know, not really immersing and getting deep into something enough to be able to get a conclusive result. Um, it's kind of like ha getting halfway through a test, but then not receiving the output of that test and the outcome. Um, so yeah, I think it is a challenge, but you know, over time it's about learning. I think, and I think that's a point about founding a business, right? It's as much about learning about yourself as it is the business. Mm -hmm. understanding how you work what works for you and like you were saying there about focusing on the one thing for some people that's really scary they like you know being immersed mm -hmm. in all sorts of different activities switching constantly and again it's about finding what works for you there is no one right way as much as that would make life much easier um sadly it's not the case yeah totally and i so agree with uh, uh with what you said where you you know you're like when you're running a business when you're making something you're also in the process of sort of making yourself better uh, as a person. Mm. If that's not happening, then I don't know, you know, as an end goal, sort of like what what's, what the point is of starting something, uh, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a, exactly. I've read, I don't know if you ever read The Alchemist. It's a long time ago uh, by Paulo Coelho. I haven't, no. Okay. Yeah, so there's a, there's an, I'm not going to explain the whole story, but there's a point in the book where, uh, this young boy who's searching for his treasure meets uh, the alchemist and they're, you know, the alchemist, they take uh, regular metals and turn them into gold, etc. So when he meets the alchemist and I'm paraphrasing this whole thing and ruining the whole book, sure. 
But uh, <laughs> basically, the idea is that uh, the alchemist, uh, the old magician wizard, tells the boy that uh, what a lot of people, what a lot of alchemists forget in the process that while they're trying to turn regular metals into gold, a lot of them forget that what the whole purpose of that thing is that they're trying to turn themselves into a better person. So like that whole thing is not about the metal turning into gold, but, you know, mm. the person sort of becoming better, which I think should happen with a business, you know, like if you're not progressing from year to year or maybe from every other year to like something new and something like a, a person with new ideas, then I think that's sort of falling behind because we're not learning. Uh, so, mm. yeah. But anyways, I ruined the book for everyone. So pick it up and read it. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this, it's a great book. It's much better than my explanation. Uh, but yeah. It's so. a great point. No, it, it yeah. makes a point entirely there. And I, yeah, completely agree with that in terms of it being a personal journey. Mm -hmm. I, I doubt there's any founder out there that spent any time running a business that hasn't noticed something about themselves. Um, I'd be very surprised if that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what is some other things? I know we have a, a list with a few more major sure. points and we can go through that. So yeah, the next one was um, absolute thinking and covered this a little bit already. Just the idea that, you know, it's, it's one thing or the other um, mm -hmm. when often it can be a blend of the two. And with that, I think, a lot of that comes down to, you know, the online world that we're in, the social world that we're in. We see a lot of people putting playbooks out there, ways of doing things where it's, you know, you need to do step one, two, three, and then you get result four. And with that, that kind of ignores the context to it, but also that sometimes you need to do a bit of X to figure out that actually you need to do a bit of Y. And then you can go from there and then you end up at the final point. And Often in coaching conversations, somebody's thinking, yeah, I really need to do this, or actually, should I be doing that? And then it's me exploring with them, what are you not thinking about or considering with each of these options? Where's the gray area in the middle between the two of them? And what's the reason for really leaning towards one, the other, or a blend of the two? Or even it's maybe even more than two options. I'm just wondering, is there anything that stands out for you? Maybe a recent decision you've been thinking about where you've been thinking of maybe one way or the other or somewhere where you're testing a few things at the same time? Well, it goes with sort of my goal for the next uh, two, three months that I'll be trying this one thing only with my product. It's sort of like a major bet, but I've sort of um, tried to make it in terms of what has happened before and what is maybe has worked for some of my competition or people who have been there before me and then considering some of other things that I wanted to focus on mm -hmm. and considering that my time is limited, sort of focused on the one that is easier to do and potentially might have a bigger impact, an outcome sort of down the line now. I mean, that remains to be seen in a couple of months if that was uh, sort of the case. But one thing I haven't considered, uh, which you have mentioned, is that I haven't considered what I am not considering about those decisions, hmm. if that makes any sense. You know, like I haven't gone into sort of deeply thinking about sort of the gray areas that you mentioned about those. Like I've 
sort of try to oversimplify it. And maybe that's a, a result of, again, a lack of time, lack of uh, available energy throughout the day because of uh, kids being in school, having mm -hmm. these other responsibilities and wife having a business, etc. So what can I have the biggest, like this was my sort of reasoning and a question that I asked myself. It's like, what is the easiest thing that I can do that I know how to do well that will have the biggest impact without me draining myself doing it? Sort of like that was the, the reasoning behind that. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's a really important point that you make in terms of time and energy. And it's time for thought, right? These things mm -hmm. are difficult to do if you haven't got the space to step back, to think about them and work through them. Uh, it, it does take a lot of energy to think through and that whole idea of figuring out and that you don't know what you don't know. Yes. It, it requires research. It requires time. It requires energy to process it and think through and explore and potentially speaking to other people as well to get other perspectives. Um, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, one thing I found that is become easier with myself, uh, sort of, I'm not putting myself in a in a sort of desperate position where it's like all in, sort of, where mm -hmm. if one bet doesn't work, then it's the end of it all. Like, I have been pretty good in the past two years, year and a half, of not doing that anymore. So everything is sort of easier uh, and not life threatening in any way. So I think that is important for me, at least. I know there's other people who strive with sort of putting themselves against the wall and then mm. just maybe breaking through. Like I haven't, you know, found over the years that I'm good at that. I, I personally am more productive, more creative, and I have a better outcome with things when I'm like super comfortable and everything is in check and I'm going at my own pace. Like I have found that like any anything that is beyond that like where i'm desperate or like you know back against the wall sort of thing like i do bad things bad decisions bad products bad outcomes no learning yeah maybe yeah maybe learning learning probably a lot but learning how not to do things like that's, that's yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering when you were putting yourself in that position previously was that a conscious decision to put yourself in that place or was it more that it just sort of happened and that's how you felt I think it was a narrative that was I was playing in my head throughout my life. Mm. And I think that could be cultural, that could be films that I watched growing up, you know, Rocky, you know, going against the whole world, training in like 20 minutes through the movie and then winning it all. <laughs> That's not life. Yeah. That is like yeah. the biggest lie, you know? And I think it was that narrative of sort of, um, I think I was trying to sort of, conquer like feel feel as a conqueror at the end sort of put myself in these tough positions and then come through it a winner which was a super dumb sort of narrative to play throughout and then when i realized that like everything become became easier because i looked at things not as i learned from movies or from sports that i played you know like you never quit never ever like you go through the end no matter what and those are, mm. I think, you know, very detrimental, honestly, uh, because that usually how that ends up is if you win, you come out super damaged at the end. And I don't know if that's worth it, you know, like putting you for your, yourself through hardship and then making a point that you really did it 
on your own, you know, against all odds. And then here you are just like broken to pieces. You, you can't even celebrate. And you see this in sports, you know, like people, like somebody's like the fans, they expect somebody to win for a long time and they don't. And then at one point they win, they get the trophy and then they're drained. They can't even talk about it. And that's just like not a good position to be in. So does that make any sense? Like I just ramble. Yeah, that, that does make sense. And I think it's a really good point around sort of zero-sum games and thinking about business as a winner-takes-all opportunity. I think rarely is that the case. Of course, there are some times when it is. But just thinking about how many businesses can coexist in a space, and this is often a thought around competition as well, that you, know, you can't enter a space where there's already a competitor. Actually, you know, 10, 20, 30, however many companies can coexist, and they can win in some way, you know, maybe they've not got the top revenue, but they're doing well enough to exist and to grow. And yeah, it just makes me think about that, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always a zero sum game. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, especially on our sort of uh, bootstrap or indie hacker space, mm. uh, you know, we're not Amazon that is competing with, I don't know who's out there competing with Amazon. I don't think anyone is at this point. They're like a monopoly. But like in our space, there's sort of like I see similar products that are, you know, doing it, making it, you know, existing. Maybe they're mm. not making tens of millions of dollars a year, but they're providing a a good living for the founders, co-founders, etc. So um, definitely something to, I guess, think of our position where we're in and like the sort of industry, the space that we are operating and how how the fights, how, how, how the competition looks in like in that area, you know, it's not the one that we're, we've like, you know, learned from films and, and sports and school, maybe even, you know, like, mm. uh, yeah, sort of like more relaxed, I guess, in a way. Yeah. And is this, is this really a fight that you want to have or are you actually yes. accepting and happy with where you're at and where you can be? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I see that, you know, all the time. Um, I think when I was younger, you know, like I, it would get to me a lot more like, um, uh, let's say I was playing basketball at the time, super young, like teenager. And mm. if somebody said something about some other person doing well in some other area, I sort of felt that as a competition and like sort of, you know, put myself in a position to compete with that. And that's not totally my area. Like, why would I? You know, like it's, yeah, it's like you just, I, I think like sticking to our strengths and the area we're operating in, I think that's a little bit more productive as an outcome to, at the end, you know, that's my, yeah, opinion. I agree. Yeah. So I think we and, quickly mentioned, yeah, go ahead, man. That's all right. I was just going to say, just moving on to the next point in terms of co-founder relationships. Yes. I wanted to mention that because we, we quickly touched on that. So yeah, I want to hear about that a bit. I think that's always an interesting one. I predominantly work with solo founders mainly. Um, you know, my clients are a range of clients. Sometimes they have got co-founders. Sometimes they've exited. It is a range. But co-founder relationships is a challenging one. And even if you've not necessarily got a co-founder, but people that you work with, whether it's contractors, that sort of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, similar points, I think, around uh, communication or a lack of communication. And the difficulties that that can bring in terms of lacking clarity, in terms of what the other person's thinking, feeling, um, assumptions that you might have made as well, um, assuming that they know that you're thinking about something in a certain way, that you want to head in a certain direction, 
that things will be better if you went in that different direction. It's easy to forget that people can't read our minds. And sometimes you have to take the time, especially when you're moving at 100 miles an hour, to stop, to have that conversation. Sometimes that can be a difficult conversation. But actually making it happen, expressing how you're both feeling, becoming aligned with where you're going, and uh, yeah, moving forward that way. Have you ever worked with a co-founder? I have. I have. Mm. I uh, had a business with a, a high school friend. Uh, we were uh, super good friends in high school. Uh, we had the same group of friends. So we teamed up. But what I didn't realize uh, is some of the things that didn't sort of match my expectations of that relationship and particularly was about sort of them maybe not having the same work ethic, maybe not uh, being as productive as I was. So as you know, we were sort of, um, this is a question I wanted to ask. So in terms of us relating to one another with like, I don't know, things we liked and things we have lived through together, I guess, in high school, those all checked out. But the things, the most important things didn't, and I wasn't aware of them. So the business didn't go, I mean, anywhere because the, there was a big mismatch with hmm. what the expectations were for us, one another. So I guess my question was sort of like how important it is for founders, for co-founders to have uh, to relate with one another in other things besides the business they're in. I think that's important with any relationship dynamic, right? In terms of understanding what the other person is really looking for. Does that align with what you're looking for? Um, how they'd go about doing it. Again, does that align? And, and there's a fine balance here as well, because particularly with business, which would be different to a personal relationship, you don't want complete homogeneity. If you're both thinking exactly the same way, you're both skilled and talented in exactly the same way or similar ways, you might see the world from exactly the same viewpoint, which means that you actually miss out on those opportunities where there are potential risks and you're both potentially blinded by them because you've got that same uh, thought and way of thinking. And so, yeah, so it is a real balance of understanding differences are fine. Differences are expected, but the core fundamentals, if they're not aligned, then there's a question as to, is this really going to work? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I had only one relation, co-founder relationship, and I don't think I will do it again unless I really, I think in our podcast, we were talking about this. This came up uh, when I was a guest on your podcast that I might, you know, it would be much easier for me to find a co-founder for certain things, uh, which would be true. But then again, it sort of, it goes back to sort of what lifestyle or how fast I want my business to grow or, you know, what's my comfort level? What do I see myself in a couple of years? Like, do I like to sort of have a co-founder and then push, 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 which I wouldn't at this point, this, you know, or this point in my life. So yeah, I guess it goes with that too. You know, I know a lot of people are looking for, for co-founders and they're struggling with sort of finding somebody that's a good match or maybe don't know how to try it out. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that trying it out in the experimentation is always an interesting one as well. And sometimes, you know, getting from zero to one, it can be a case of actually I can get by with contractors, um, sure. which, you know, are a reversible decision. So if you take them on, don't have to stick with them, don't have to do this in the long term. Um, 
and then that gives you an idea of how things work and getting to that critical point. And it comes back to that point earlier about sort of the end game. Mm-hmm. If you're still trying to prove out an idea, actually, is it a case of starting to prove the idea? Then once it's proven, then you can start looking for a co-founder. You don't necessarily have to go in day one with a co-founder. Very true. Very true. What I've suggested to other people do is, uh, you know, they should try a small project with that potential mm. co-founder. Something may, maybe it's not even relating to the startup they're doing. Something that can be done maybe in a week or two and just have a feel of how the other person is working or what their expectations are. I think that's that would be a good... That's how I would do it at this point if I were to look for a co-founder. Make a small project together and then see where things go with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's, that's the same as hiring as well. Um, sure. In terms of, you know, people can come across great in interviews. But when you actually start to work with them, that's when you actually start to see how do they communicate? What do they mm-hmm. pick up on? Are they very independent? Do they ask a lot of questions? You know, all of those things. And that's where, like you say, those sort of um, projects or tests, those are where you really start to see how people are versus mm-hmm. how they say they are. Yeah, totally. I think one thing I didn't ask uh, during the show is how you got to this place of, you know, coaching founders. Like what led you into sort of this space? It was really a merge of a couple of interests. Um, so one thing that I've done for a number of years is work with a few different charities. I work for, with a charity on a voluntary basis um, at the moment for people who are suicidal. And that's a listening service. And they really provide support for people that are in a time of crisis. And it was face-to-face. And you would sit and really listen to a person, ask them questions and those skills that I learned over the years from being there and also with um, a children's charity on the phone as well, those sort of listening and questioning skills I've often brought into the startups that I've worked in as an employee. I've often worked as sort of that right hand to a CEO type position. And it's those listening and questioning skills that I've seen have been helpful for people combined with that experience of being in startups and that side and having my own small ventures as well. So it's really a merge of the two. And it, it really came about actually from, I work with a coach myself as well, because, you know, I'm not immune from getting stuck and having my own challenges sure. and getting wrapped up in my own head. And um, a discussion with him that we're having during uh, COVID, where actually I had to put the main business that I was working on, I was working on a SaaS project, which I'm now back to for the restaurant industry. And because of COVID, I had to put that on hold and I was exploring other ideas. And he said, have you thought about coaching and that aspect? So yeah, shout mm-hmm. out to Rich for... Um, actually getting me started in that space. Oh, wow. And before going into the volunteering part uh, and getting yourself into a position of sort of listening to people who are in the extreme sort of point, uh, super urgent, like how, how, how did you get into that? Was it like something that you did before uh, a school you went to or it was just something you were interested in? I think it's, yeah, interest and just sort of my nature. I enjoy being with people and um, sort of engaging with them in that way. It was since university that I'd originally started on um, Childline, which is one of the major helplines in the UK for children, young people. And it really started from there. And then eventually when I moved to London, um, I didn't stay on with them. So it was looking at other opportunities out there. And that's when I came across the charity that I work with now. Um, 
so yeah it was really a case of just exploring those different opportunities and in between I I trained as a physiotherapist and worked in healthcare for a few years so again that sort of working with people exploring and understanding what's going on Mm -hmm. for them when you're consulting with people those are all it's that same sort of skill set so it's that core skill set that has gone through a lot of the work that I've done of sort of listening asking questions helping people find clarity that side of things and brought that forward that is so interesting you know i always like to hear the answer to those questions like how did you get into this and then maybe go a layer below that and then how did you get into that because you know we were talking before like do kids our kids ask these days what what they want to be when they grow up and Mm. i think what we default to and which is a great thing is something that we like like you like talking to people so you put yourself in a position where you were really talking to people especially in the in the times of the the most extreme crisis that they can go through, you know? And I can look mm. to my sort of background and what I always defaulted to, you know, like, what am I doing now? So I think that's, you know, going back to like the start of the show, like, you know, sort of where do we go from here? Like, you know, when we grow up and and what do you do when you're later on? Like, yeah. It's just like dots connecting one another and sort of one thing leading to the next, but it's always goes back to, sort of your interest, your core interest, like what, what you like to do, like, where do you see yourself putting a mark on? I think. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. And your point there about connecting the dots, I think that's really interesting as well, because if you'd asked me, you know, if I was at that point where it was that first dot there that existed around this theme, I would never have guessed that final dot of where Mm -hmm. I am now. And also I would never have guessed that path in between that has led to that point as well. And it's actually just that here and now, figuring out what's right now, what's the best move now, and taking that and not trying to plan too far ahead because it will flex and it will end up where it needs to be. No, yeah, absolutely. Like just sort of letting these dots make themselves up up as we go and then Mm. just sort of giving yourself, again, it's not like a binary thing where you go one way or the other. It's sort of following this this route that we're, we're making up as we go and then leading to this point where we're still, yeah, I guess we're still back at our core at any point, but it's sort of in a more advanced, you know, way. Now you're into coaching, you know, because you have your sort of, you know, talking to people initially, then working with startups, having your own startup, and then sort of getting to a position where, look, this is my biggest impact right now. I think I, I enjoy this sort of answers. Like I even like, friends that I meet or like family, you know, like my, my dad or, you know, people that I ask, you know, I always, I'm mm. curious, like, why, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, like, what's it, why, why aren't you doing something else? <laughs> it's yeah. really, really cool to hear that. It's a question that we don't often stop and think about, do right. we? It's yeah. so easy to keep moving forwards, but actually stop for a moment and look back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the sort of asking the, the negative part of it, like, why aren't you doing something else? Why, like, not just mm. asking like people like why are you doing this but why why isn't Val a doctor right now and I'll tell you like hundreds of reasons why I'm not a doctor and I will never be you know like I know <laughs> yeah. that as a fact so, um, that actually touches on a point there around struggling to find um answers sometimes and that that's a great technique in terms of you know it's very clear why to do something but mm-hmm. figuring out why not the inverse figuring out the inverse that mm-hmm. can help you find an answer as well. So yeah, great, great tip. Yeah, there. totally, totally, totally. Yeah, man. So hey, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your product, your SaaS right now? Like, I'm curious about that. 
Sure. So yeah, it's a SaaS product for the restaurant industry. It comes from a very personal place. I've got an allergy to nuts myself. Um, so it comes from a place of going through that and experiencing going to restaurants, cafes, places where you can get food and having weird and wonderful experiences over the years um, of people not knowing what's in the food that they're serving or telling you that things don't contain nuts when they very much do. Uh, it's, it's really bad and I, I laugh and joke, mm-hmm. but for many people, including myself, it can be life-threatening. So it is really bad and it's a really dangerous problem. And typically the way that things are handled at the moment, you would see an allergy chart and they would hand over that to you and let you look through it. It takes many forms. I've been in you know, London at a busy train station and they put this great big A3 sheet on the counter there's this great big matrix that's made in Excel and I'm there trying to line up this baguette that I'm about to eat, trying to line up the row and the column to make sure it's safe for me to eat, using my debit card to slide across this great big A3 sheet to line up the rows and columns. Oh, and I thought, man. you know, this is horrible. And the same as you sat in a restaurant with a group of friends and they bring over this great big ring binder folder and you've got to go through pages to try and find what you can and can't eat. And I thought, you know, surely there's a better way to do this. So came up with a SaaS product that at the moment is practically an online database, but it makes it very quick and easy to filter a menu, see what you can or can't eat. It's sold directly to the restaurant, so it's not Mm -hmm. a consumer product in that sense. It's sold to the restaurants. They take on a subscription. I upload the data on their behalf. They check it. It then goes live. And then there's typically a QR code on the menu. Now, following COVID, before COVID, that was a really difficult thing to discuss, but now it's quite normal. And you just scan the code on the menu and you can then filter through the menu. Okay. So it's basically B2B then the restaurant is the customer and then they offer it to their customers, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of the challenge with that is that the end value to some extent is actually with the end consumer more so than the restaurant at times, particularly when they're small. Right. Yeah. That's great. So, I mean, this is live, right? It is live. I've got a couple of restaurants on there. It's very early days. It's making a little bit of revenue, but opening up a number of channels um, to hopefully start bringing more leads and grow it further. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome, man. And uh, I enjoyed a lot this talk. Uh, is there something that we didn't mention that you think could be valuable or something that we forgot to talk about? I think that just reflecting on our discussion today, there's a lot of nuance and context to everything that we discussed. There is no right or wrong. These are gray areas. Um, just take a moment, and it's a reminder for all of us, me included, stop, pause, think about what we're doing, where we're heading, where we've been, and just, yeah, remember the bigger picture. Yeah, and that end game that we spoke about early on. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Pretty cool. How about you? Cool. Was there anything that stood out for you? I think all of it, uh, honestly, like these are some of the things that I try to remind myself for sort of a better living, uh, you know, every day. Uh, one thing that I can do better is that I mentioned like as we were talking is have the end game sort of more clear of where I'm going with this particular project or project within a project. What am I trying to do with it? Uh, I have to be more clear about that and not just something that I think might be cool or something that I think I should be doing because somebody else is doing, like you said, you know, going by somebody else's playbook, etc. So I think I have to be a little bit more clear, even though I know the answer. Like if I ask myself, 
the question of what the end game is for this particular thing, I know the answer, but just a matter of asking the question. I think that's that's sometimes more important than the answer, like sort of the, the question that is being asked. And then the answer is easy because you, you know, the question did the homework and then the answer is just the byproduct of that. So I think I can yes. be a little bit more, yeah. you know, sort of diligent with myself with that. So that's something that's, um, you know, super, super important, I think, moving forward, especially, like I said before, you know, we solo founders have like two blocks of three hours each, maybe in a given workday, um, especially if you have kids, it's even sometimes less. Um, mm. Kid is sick, has a flu, whatever, like you have to take a day off and then you have to reset the next day. So it's just being clear about, you know, what, are, what am I going to do in the next 20 days of this month, 20 work days of this month? Like, what's the sort of impact and outcome of that? Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And I always enjoy our talks. I enjoyed being a guest on your show back then. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, do you have a new podcast? Is I Did I catch that correctly or? It's the same. It's the same. It's the same, the same podcast. podcast. Just okay. back, back with more episodes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're still doing that. Exactly. Yeah. Bringing oh, coaching cool. sessions out there so that people can see what really goes on behind closed doors. Very cool. And do you want to share like where people can find you, what the name of podcast is, etc.? Sure. Yeah. So it's talkstefan.com. You can find the Talk Stefan podcast on Spotify. It's called the Founder Hot Seat. Um, but yeah, you'll find me on Twitter as well at talkstefan. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Stefan, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it and hope to catch up in a few months or so. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Val. It's been good to All be right. here. Take care, man. Bye.